Father, so many times we've made your gospel so complicated and so hard to understand. Thank you for a, a time just like this where we're reminded that it is so simple. Your deep, 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 deep love for us is so powerful and so strong. and It can break the binds of these untruths that that threaten to separate us, but God, you've promised us that no amount of those untruths will separate us. And God, sometimes we just find ourselves in, in just in the dust of life, and you, you always find us. You always, always, always find us. Thank you, Father. Thank you for this great, great sermon that Jesus taught, and that there's so much we've learned from it and will continue to. So, Lord, we, we lay this before you. We thank you for it. And in Jesus' name, everyone who agreed said... Amen. Amen. You have a seat. Well, we're concluding the uh, series called Life Beyond Religion, uh, based upon this, this famous Sermon on the Mount that Jesus taught. And uh, it's been a, a great, it's a great privilege for me, actually, to be able to participate in this and to uh, share this final message. And so uh, I'm excited about that. I, I love the Sermon on the Mount. I love the fact that it is so simple and so powerful, and it was the greatest sermon, uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest teacher who ever taught. And in a minute, we're going to look at the response of this audience that, uh, that Jesus spoke to. But before we do that, I want to share with you another response, uh, post-sermon response that happened to me a number of years ago. I shared this story uh, 11 years ago here at Southbrook, and some of you I know remember because you've mentioned it to me before. But... Uh, I, I love the Sermon on the Mount, and so when I was a teaching pastor at First Church of Christ in Xenia back in the, this was in the mid-80s, I was teaching through this particular uh, text, Matthews 5, 6, and 7. I thought it would be a great idea. I was young and naive. and thought, man, it would be so cool to do something really dramatic at the end of this message series. So I thought, I'll just, uh, I'll commit it to memory, those three chapters, and then I will, I will present it in the first person in the character, dressed in the character of Jesus. And so I, I, I didn't tell anyone I was going to do this. It was going to be a complete, I just told everyone, hey, we're going to have a kind of a surprise ending to this series. And uh, I didn't even tell the team who was leading worship that day. All I told them was, is the last song I want you to do is, and this is how kind of goofy this whole deal was, and you'll see in a minute, is that I want them to all sing the song, Open My Eyes, Lord, I Want to See Jesus. True story. And as they sang this song, down the center aisle walked a six foot three, very white Caucasian Jesus with full beard and hair. And then I, I presented the, the, the three chapters by, by memory. Um, my children's director, this is the best part of the story, our children's director saw what I was doing and she said, hey, would you come and do this for some of our kids? And so we're actually doing a field trip this week at John Bryan State Park. Would you be willing to come and, and do that with our kids? And so we kind of got this idea that, hey, we'd meet, we'd find a, a place that we both would know where it was going to be. Then I would just walk out and meet them out in the park there. And all of a sudden, just Jesus is going to show up and do the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> Great idea until I'm sitting here in the park and I'm thinking, this is going to be really awkward walking through the park. Uh, who am I going to meet walking along the way? So I, but I, Put the costume on in my car. I got out, and there's a little, a little um, bridge 
walk over by a little pond over in that area. So I'm walking across the bridge in my Jesus costume, and uh, there sitting on the bank to my left is a young man, probably in his mid-20s or so. He's just sitting there kind of in a meditative state, which is, this is around Yellow Springs area, so... Uh, <laughs> He's in this very meditative state, and he just all of a sudden looks up at me. And he, his head is just following me as I walk across the bridge. And I wasn't expecting this, so I just stopped and said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. <laughs> and I kept walking. And his head just kept pivoting as he followed me all the way across until I was out of sight. True story. I've often wondered if at some point in my life, before God calls me to heaven, or maybe it's going to be in heaven, but, but I'm going to meet up with a guy, and we're just going to have a casual conversation. He says, yes, you know what? When I met Jesus, it was back in uh, John Bryan State Park, and he appeared to me in a vision, and he spoke to me, and I'm going to have to fess up and say, um, dude, it wasn't Jesus. It was me. But I want to jump to this, uh, the post-sermon reaction that was very, very different than my post-sermon reaction back in the 80s. And this was uh, in the last few verses of our text, in, in verses 28 and 29, it says this, when Jesus had finished these sayings, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Now, this is the post-sermon reaction. Now, if you remember, when, when Charlie first started this series uh, several weeks ago, he made the comment that at the very beginning, Jesus saw the crowds, but then he took his disciples off aside and he began teaching them. So at the very beginning of this Sermon on the Mount, it was just Jesus and the disciples. And by this time, at the conclusion, Matthew recalls the crowds. In fact, one translation says the multitudes were amazed. I think this is so fascinating. Because somewhere along the line, his teaching has been attracting more and more and more people to now it's not just the 12. Now it's the crowds or the multitude. And they're all, it fascinates me because that's never happened to me. <laughs> It's never happened where I started out, unless it's in Southbrook, and you guys, it's because you're notoriously late. Um, <laughs> but it's never happened where I'm teaching, and all of a sudden the crowds just kind of keep coming and keep coming and keep coming and keep coming. They, in fact, if anything, it's the other way around. They kind of start leaving and start dispersing. But in Jesus' case, they kept coming. And the Bible says they were amazed, and, and that word means astonished or literally dumbfounded. They were blown away. Now, it wasn't just at his style of teaching or at his stories or at his humor or at, at his, uh, his, you know, any of the style of, about his teaching. It was actually at, because of his authority. And the word for authority is exousia. And it means an authority that's contributed to one who is sovereign. What they were sensing is that as Jesus taught it was so different than anything they'd ever heard. Their teachers and their scribes always taught based upon someone else's authority. They would take, they, Moses said this, Abraham said this, Isaac said this, Elijah said that, did this or did that. And they would base their, even some of their rules and religions on the, on the past prophets of old. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus said, I've come to fulfill the law. And he says, you've heard it said, but I tell you this. And they sensed this authority. It was like, this is God speaking to us. And they were amazed at his authority. 
Now, as, let's go back to the beginning of the, of the text. If you look at this last entire section, in fact, Charlie spoke last week on two of these scripture verses. I'm only going to reference to them because there's like three choices that I see that we're really making that he is challenging each one of us to make as we listen to this, this sermon. One is choose your, choose your path very carefully. In verses 13 and 14, he talked about the small gate and the wide gate and the narrow path and the, and the broad path. And, and again, Charlie mentioned this last week, great message. You need to go back if you haven't heard it. So choose your path very carefully. Also, choose your guide very carefully. In the next section of Scripture, he talked about that there's people who will come who will deceive you. They'll, they'll be dressed like they'll be wolves in sheep's clothing. Be very deceptive. So choose your guide. Choose who you're going to orient your life around very carefully. And now in this section that we're going to look at today, choose your foundation very carefully. He's going to use a parable. And in this parable, it's going to describe a couple builders. Look at these verses. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew against and blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But if anyone hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, it's like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Now, Jesus is not talking about building contractors or building code violations or the like, things like that, getting permits to build, what, you know, all of that. He's really talking about using an analogy or a metaphor or a story about two builders who are building a life, and that's us. We're all builders, aren't we? God has given us a lot of choices to make, and no one's going to force you to build your life in a certain way. Those are all matters of choice that God has given us the freedom. And he's given us a lot of choices to make. But be very careful and, be, and make sure of one thing. That as we choose what we're going to build our lives upon, that foundation is critically important to whether your life is going to be able to withstand the storms of your life or whether it may fall. If you're like me, I grew up in church. I remember singing this song as a kid. The little children's chorus about this, the wise man and foolish man. Any of you remember that? I'm going to watch. I found a little quick little video. Watch this video and see if it brings back some memories. The wise man built his house upon you can sing the along rock. if you want to. The wise man
remember that? Or something similar to that. You know what's crazy about that? Who in the world thought about using a children's song to describe? And because the most enjoyable part of the whole song was what? The house comes crashing down. I mean, we're just laughing and rejoicing and enjoying that. And this is about a life who's a life who's been destroyed. And yet we're just kind of thinking that's that's the fun part of the whole song. It's kind of like probably the same person who wrote the children's prayer that we've all, many of us prayed as we were growing up. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Now turn off the lights, sweet dreams. <laughs> Are you kidding me? But Jesus is telling this story not just to have as a fun song for kids to sing or to celebrate, but it's about reality. It's about life's reality, and it's about how do we build our lives. And in doing so, he talks about some similarities and some contrasts. We're going to talk about three similarities today and two contrasts. And Jesus did this throughout the Sermon on the Mount. Remember he talked about those of you who have a, have a plank in your eye and you're trying to pull out a splinter in someone else's eye? That's a, that's a contrast. He talks about uh, bad treasure and good earthly treasure and heavenly treasure. He talks about bad fruit and good fruit and bad trees and good trees. He uses this all the time. And in, in this parable, he does the same thing. There's three similarities about these two builders. The first similarity is both of them have life dreams. And they were good life dreams. They wanted to build a life. Some of you are students here today. And you'll be in the second service as well. Or you're watching online and you're... You're at a stage in your life where you're really thinking about, what am I going to do with my life? My granddaughter, who's a junior at Dayton Christian, and she's thinking about those things. By the way, she'll be singing it during the atrium, during the mid, uh, between the services, so you might want to check that out. Uh, a little plug for that. <laughs> but she's at that place, and we're not ready that for that, but she is, and she's thinking, and she's excited about making it a life and and some of you are doing the same thing or maybe you've already made that decision maybe you're at other stages in life you're choosing a, you're thinking about marriage you're thinking about family you're thinking about a change of jobs there's we all start out with these these good life dreams no one ever starts out thinking you know by the time I'm 30 I really I'm my plan on being divorced or by the time I'm 30 I I want to I'd kind of like to go through bankruptcy or I'd like to find myself in prison I'd like to find myself maybe uh, with a self-destructive like, addiction for the past 10 years of my life. No one thinks about those kinds of things. They, they sometimes happen, yes, but no one starts out dreaming about those kind of life dreams. And so these, both these builders had very positive, good life dreams. They also, the second similarity is they both were exposed to the truth. Jesus says they both heard these words of mine. Now, that doesn't mean they were sitting in a in a in a church service listening to a gospel message it might have been that it could have been they were reading scripture it could have been that they were hearing the words of truth in other ways sometimes it's just being out in nature I, I love nature and sometimes nature speaks to me with a louder voice than anything else about the majesty and the power and the sovereignty of God but all of them were able to hear things of, of truth into their life and the third similarity is they both experienced struggles both houses went through storms, massive storms. Now, when I say the word storm, it means something different to many of us. If you've been down helping the people of Mayfield, Kentucky, or going down there to help people, 
Those people, you know, they've gone through some massive storms, and we're trying to help them out. Or even down in the southern uh, United States, even this past week. I live in Xenia. That tells you a lot about storms. 1974, the F5 tornado that came through and wiped out so much of, of Xenia. We moved three years after that, but we were living there during the September 2000 tornado, F4 tornado, that came within just a couple hundred yards of our home. So we understand, and many of us understand, what storms are like. But we all go through these storms, and some of them are major. Jesus says they, they beat against that house. The wind blew and beat against that house. And some of you are in storms right now. And you're feeling that wind. You're feeling the rain. It, it rains a lot. And you're feeling that, that struggle. And both of these builders had struggles. But look at the contrasts. The contrast, there's two of them. One of them was a builder was referred to as a wise person, and the other builder was referred to as a fool. Now, wisdom is, is, is kind of a funny thing. It's, it's not something that we can just kind of study to gain. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives to all men liberally. So I think there is a d divine thing about wisdom that happens when, in fact, I've given the simplest definition of wisdom to me is the ability or willingness to apply spiritual truths to life's realities or decisions. Some of you know wise people, and you would say, if I had a question or some big issue in life, this is who I'd go to. And it's not because of their education. It's not because of their, their, some of their, uh, their knowledge they have up in their head. It's because they have experienced life, and they are willing to apply a spiritual truth to a reality in your life or in their life or decision in their life. And that's, to me, what wisdom is all about. On the other hand, the fool, Jesus describes as a fool, would be the opposite of that. An unwillingness or an inability to apply spiritual truths to life's realities or life's decisions. And you know people who are extremely educated, extremely knowledgeable. They even know the Bible from front to back. But you wouldn't think of going to them to seek wisdom about something because they, they, don't, they don't take the spiritual truth and apply it to life's realities or decisions. So these two contrasts really describe the, the, kind of, the kind of life that God wants us to live. The second contrast is the difference between rock and sand, the difference of the foundation composite itself. One is described as rock, the word is petra, and it's not uh, like pea gravel, or it's not like even stones or rocks, it's not even boulders. We're talking about bedrock. The, the listeners of Jesus would have known this. They, would have, they know that a lot of their, their, their terrain there is very sandy and very thin, but if they'll dig down deep, in fact, in Luke 6, when Luke is recording the same Sermon on the Mount, he describes this builder as one who dug deep and found the, the bedrock, found the foundation of rock, whereas the other is sand, which is very fine, very... Un so look at the difference between rock and sand. That's the contrast. One is firm, secure, dependable, always going to be there. It's not just, uh, it's not during the nice sunny days. It's there even when it rains. The sand, on the other hand, is shifting. It's unstable. It's unreliable and can leave you very, very vulnerable in your life. When I think about rock, a foundation of rock, I think about these principles of Jesus. I think about... I think about the identity that we have in Christ. I think about it's not just religion. We lay down that religion. It's the realizing that I am his son. I'm his beloved son of the most high God.
I think about the idea that, that rock, to me, a foundation of rock is understanding the, even the, the, the disciplines of life. We talk about the five S's because digging for rock, a rock foundation, is not going to be easy, is it? It's going to require some intentionality. It's going to require some hard work. It's not, it's not just something that, you can, that just happens overnight. We dig, we look for it, we search for it, and we find it, and we know that's what I want to build my life upon. I, that's what's going to last. On the other hand, sand is easy, it's cheap, it's inexpensive, and it's probably our default nature of just building things on sand. It would be, as you go back in the Sermon on the Mount, it'd be earthly treasures. It'd be the pursuit of happiness. It would just be the riches of this world because all of those things are very shifting, very changeable, very temporary, and when the storms come and when it beats against your house, it's not going to hold. But the rock will. Tony, Dr. Tony Evans talks about, uh, uses this passage of scripture, and he talks about the idea of building a skyscraper. He said, if you go to a major city and they're building a skyscraper, the first thing they do is they cordon off that whole area and they begin digging deep before they ever start digging up. He said, you can tell how tall a building's going to be by how dig they're going to deep down into the earth. He said, you can't build a sky, these are his words, you can't build a skyscraper life on a chicken coop foundation. He said, somebody, people want a skyscraper marriage, they want a skyscraper business, they want skyscraper finances, they want skyscraper kids, and that yet they're building on a chicken coop foundation, and it ain't going to happen, according to his words, and I agree. So what does it mean then? How do I know what's, what my life is being built upon? And the answer is, that's when the storms come. That's when we know. Some of you, again, are going through storms right now. And maybe, maybe during the time of storm, that's not always the best time in, in a physical way to, to change the, the foundation of your house, to start repairing foundation. But that's the beautiful thing about our gospel, the simple gospel, is there's always, there's always, always, always opportunity for us to change our focus and our mindset upon what's going to be the foundation of my life. So even in the midst of the storm, we can say, this is not holding, this is not working. Jesus, I need you. I need you. Mark, in his gospel, in the fourth chapter, shares a story. Um, and it, I think, illustrates this to the T. To the they're on one side of the Sea of Galilee, and he says, uh, let's go to the other side of the lake. And so they, uh, they all get in the boat, and they begin to sail then to the other side of the lake. Midway through this, uh, this trip, they encounter a, a ferocious storm. In fact, it's called a, a lilaps which is like a typhoon, hurricane type of deal that can arise very, very suddenly, very quickly on the sea. And this happens a lot uh, on the Sea of Galilee. And some of the guys, some of the disciples in the boat, they were experienced fishermen. I mean, they, this was not a, a, a strange thing to them. They, they knew the sea. They had fished most of their lives upon the sea. And so they, this was not strange for them. But anyway, as they're sailing across, they encounter this this terrible storm and it's beating against the boat and the bible says mark says the the disciples were terrified he uses that word terrified 
and they're trying to, trying to survive, trying to stay alive, and they're trying to do things with this storm, and all of a sudden they're looking around, where's Jesus? And they find Jesus is asleep in the stern of the boat. But what good is a Savior if he's going to be sleeping when we need him the most? Sometimes we, we feel that way. We're, we're going through the storm and we're saying, God, God, where are you? Heaven seems to be silent. Or I'm trying to dial up my prayers and they're going into a heavenly voicemail or something like that. Jeremiah in the book of Lamentations says, my prayers are bouncing off the clouds. They're not getting through. He knew what that was like. And you know what that's like. And so they're, they're just terrified. And there's Jesus asleep. Now, I'm a really light sleeper. I, there's no way I could ever sleep through a storm like this with a boat bouncing up and down and all this kind of stuff. And, uh, and maybe you're a much more a harder sleeper than I am, and maybe you think you could, but I kind of have a sneaking suspicion that Jesus was asleep on purpose because he wanted the disciples to learn something about this experience. So the disciples, <laughs> they, they go to Jesus, and the Bible says they, they arouse him. They shake him to wake him. And when he gets up, he asks an interesting question. He says, why are you so afraid? That seems like a stupid question. And I could almost picture Peter <laughs> being the impetuous one. Sometimes he engages his mouth before he engages his brain. And I could almost imagine Peter saying, seriously? You have to ask us that question? I mean, look around you, look what's happening. We're going to die, and you're asking us why we're so afraid? And Jesus says, oh, you of little faith. What's that about? Let me tell you why. Jesus didn't, we don't have this recorded, but if I could maybe add my thoughts here. Jesus could have said to them, do you remember what I said to you before we even left the other shore? What did I say to you? What were my words of truth to you? Let's go to the other side. Now, I didn't tell you anything about the weather conditions. I didn't tell you about anything we'd experience along the way. But I did tell you that we'd get to the other side. Now here we are, right in the middle of the sea, four miles away from shore. We're going through this storm. You have forgotten my words of truth. You have not put my words of truth into action. You have focused instead upon the storm in your life and upon the wind and upon the rain and you've forgotten what I told you to be the truth. And that is that you would get to the other side. All of you. And so Jesus concludes his Sermon on the Mount. He gives his compelling conclusion about life's choices and what are you going to build your life upon. And the crowds begin to disperse, amazed at his authority. But that's not the real issue, is it? You can be amazed and still unchanged.
My question is this. Not what God said to you, because you've heard the words of truth, but what are you going to do about them? Will you put them into practice in your life? How I'd like to close this morning is with this song we sang earlier. So please don't leave until it's all over. This simple gospel song. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand and we'll sing this again. I think this time as we sing it and you think about the words, it'll make mean even more to you than what it did the first time based upon our scripture today. About midway through the song, I'm going to come back and I want to, I want to share a blessing upon you as the close of this sermon series. And as you stand, if you would, and I'm not going to, there's no worship police is going to come around and make you do anything, but if you would be willing as you're standing there singing this song and when I come up to give the blessing, if you just would simply maybe close your eyes if you want to or leave them open, I don't care, but if you would open up your hands in a, in a gesture of surrender and a gesture of receiving this blessing, allow me to bless you in his name and his authority. And then the team will finish the song and then they'll dismiss you at the very end of the song. So let's stand right now and sing this song together and then be prepared for the blessing. So I'm laying down all my religion I'm laying down I want to know one of you right now in this moment choose this abundant life by abandoning the unstable and shifting sands of religion or self-fulfillment and instead choose the reality of Jesus himself to be the foundation of your life may you hear him affirm in your soul that even in the midst of the raging storms of your life, when you're soaking wet, lost, hurting and confused, you are not alone. May you hear him whisper into your ear, you're going to make it to the other side. You're my son. You're my daughter. I love you.
let's rejoice. I will rejoice in the simple gospel. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.